0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: It's your True Faith Newcastle United podcast. Wolverhampton Wanderers 1, Newcastle United 1, a point for Newcastle on the road in the Premier League. A pretty rare thing and something that we're going to talk about whether it's to be celebrated or not you've got myself Alex Hurst Adam Woodgerton beside me at TFHQ in Gosforth and on the line from London our attendees at Molyneux yesterday Norman Riley and Sean Oregon Adam I'm going to start with you uh how good a point was this and why little bit of social media debate people saying that the likes of me and maybe you saying that I call this a brilliant point because I think a going away from home and getting a point at 7th place Wolves, who've got a very good home record, is a brilliant point. Some people say we actually didn't play very well at all. If we'd lost that game, we wouldn't be calling it a good performance. How do you say
2: it? I mean, I'm a bit conflicting here because I, I, personally, I think it was, it was a good point. Um, would I say brilliant? Possibly, if you're looking at wider context, I think going into that game, would I have taken a point... Away to that team with a with a with a full strength team. If we didn't have a team cobbled together, a patchwork team, would I've taken? Would I take a point? Absolutely. They're a European club. They're sitting seventh. Any point you got to you got to suggest that any point away to a top half of the table team is you'd, you'd, you'd absolutely snap your hand off for. Um, I think you know we're looking at a team where Hayden was playing right back. And Dwight Gale, who could be out the door regardless of his injury or not, um, was 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 were playing. So that kind of tells you where we were at as a squad, where we, what we had out as a team. There was a lot of head scratching when the when the team sheet was announced um, an hour before kickoff. So to come away at that point, nobody would have given us a chance. On the preview with Mickey on Wednesday, I had I had given us no hope. I thought we'd lose two 0 I thought it would be a fairly straightforward defeat. Um, that's not to say that we didn't ride our look a bit though, Alex. Um, but I think anybody angry with how we played yesterday has possibly forgotten a bit of context. Like we haven't really been aesthetically pleasing for most of the season. We've had a couple of halves here and there where we've looked like a really good, exciting team. You look at the kind of first half against West Ham, for example, where we just, everything just clicked and we looked really good and we looked like a team that was brimming with confidence. We don't have a lot of possession usually. Um, we knew that we are going to have to sit back. They're a good team. Like I said, that they're they're a European club still in Europe as we speak. So to have that patchwork team, Battle. It was a battled. It was embattled draw, and given where we are, and given that we've come off the back of three defeats in the league, some of them have just been awful, awful performances. It stopped the rot. It's a solid point. I don't know what more we could have asked from those eleven players, plus subs, in 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 that fixture. I, I think it's a good point.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with any of that. Wolves only lost twice at home this season to Chelsea and Spurs in one of Mourinho's first games. Last team to visit Molyneux, Manchester City, probably would have taken a point. And that doesn't mean that there, there aren't questions in wider context to be considered in terms of, you know, how few chances we'll create, how much we'll rely on the goalkeeper. And we're going to get into a little, you know, a little bit of that later on in the show. Norman, you were at the game yesterday with Sean um, first of all, tell us about your day. It was your first time the and We were talking on the Patron podcasts last week, or you were, about how how um, you were looking forward to it so much. Visiting a new Premier League ground, how was your day, first of all?
3: Um, the day was excellent. Um, we had an early start. Houston trained at um, quite a past nine, so we got into Wolves pretty quickly. We got a direct train there, one of those trains that splits um, through the journey. We were the wrong section, obviously, but, uh, you know... We Managed to negotiate my way through to the right one. Um, got into Wolves about a quarter out of 12, and I'd spoken with a Wolves fan for a, a podcast, um, earlier on in the week. And he said to me, Your best bet for drinking is to drink in Birmingham and then just get the train through. Um, it's only 20 minutes from Birmingham, um, in time for kickoff because obviously, from Wolves train station, the grounds I mean, it's well, not even a 10 minute walk, really. Um, it's very close but we'd already booked tickets by this point to go directly into Wolves, and um, we decided we'd do that, and I thought, I oh, will find somewhere to drink, no bother. Got in there, quarter to 12, as I say, pubs, you know, not very busy at that point, um, a few gold shirts in a few of them, um, but what we did notice was was door staff, and I'd selected a pub, I'd found a pub on Google that looked really good, this place called the Royal London, obviously we're out in London, but, you know, we need to, we need to kind of maintain a little bit of a, uh, London, kind of cosmopolitanism, um, when we're away. You know, we don't want to detach from the umbilical, umbilical cord of London completely. Um, but we got in the door and there was a sign on home fans only. Sport at the door, staff. Have you got Wolf Season tickets or tickets for the home end? No, all right, you can't come in. A um, couple of other places, same thing. And I just thought straight away and we kind of discussed it. Like, this is, it's so indicative of kind of how good it must be as an away fan going to certain cities like Newcastle and um, I would say you know Brighton for example um, where you don't have that concern you know the, the police uh, um, the bar owners, people enough to believe that they could probably intermingle quite well and not you know batter each other stupid or um, get up to kind of destructive lunacy um, that's not the case in Wolves obviously um, and we weren't permitted to go in any of the pubs and we were told that there were a couple of pubs that maybe let Rome fans in but to be honest with you, you just thought, well, if that kind of cattle, cattle and um, all Newcastle fans into two pubs are going to be absolutely wood, and I don't think anyone fancied that. So we ended up going for a, um, a curry. We ended up having a curry at like midday, and uh, it was absolutely bloody lovely. And obviously, they had a license in there as well. I, I wasn't drinking, so I drank a, a non-alcoholic copperbird, which is basically just juice. fizzy juice. I mean, there's no there's no, there's no, taste of cider in there whatsoever, <laughs> Uh, And then then we did a classic true faith uh, manoeuvre of going to the Riley Snooker Club. And Mm -hmm. interestingly enough, full of Wolves fans, um, but no trouble. A few Jordies in there as well. Massive TV screen on, so we got to see the Arsenal Palace match. Um, And a couple of pints, as I I say, I I wasn't drinking, so I was in a unique position of drinking M. Heineken Zero, which is pretty refreshing and does taste like lager. Um, And then off off to the stadium and, you know... Um, we're going to talk about the performance. Obviously, Adam's already mentioned it. Um, it's always good not losing away from home. So that you know, helped make the day better. And the atmosphere, actually, the atmosphere I'd say about the first sort of 15 minutes was really raucous. Um, kind of exchanges between both sets of fans. Obviously, Warehouse right next to where Wolves have the, the safe standing area, um, which every club should have. Um, and it was really noisy. Um, But after sort of 15, 20 minutes, it just died off. And I I found the atmosphere really flat. The away end wasn't particularly vociferous. And I think a lot of that was down to the fact that, obviously, once Wolves had equalised, I do genuinely feel that most fans were just waiting for Wolves to get that second goal. Um, And enthusiasm levels were pretty low. And that really kind of continued through the game. I I genuinely think it was just a case of of nerves. You know, we were constantly expecting Wolves to score, even though, you know, they didn't necessarily create a lot of clear-cut chances. Um, they did have a couple of clear off the line and a couple, obviously, a miracle save from Dubravka, um, and we just didn't look like getting a second goal at all. So I think there was kind of a, a bit of uh, a bit of nerves and a bit of panic. And um, and for me, uniquely, not drinking alcohol meant that I was so nervous, so unbelievably nervous because those feelings hadn't been completely numbed by the eight pints that I usually have before I'm standing in a football stadium. Um, and then full time, journey back via Birmingham. Um she, just a, a sound journey back and all in all a, a really good day, I thought.
1: Yeah, and I listened to your match day podcast, which is available for patrons, and you were basically perplexed before the game. You and Sean were on there about the formation. Do you think in the end the manager got at least the, the team selection right in terms of what was available to him?
3: Absolutely. Um uh, again, you know, I, I'll I credit to him for that. But, but I'm mean, say credit to him for that. But at the same time, there was literally nothing else he could do um, other than uh, put Emil Kraft in at right wing back, which would have just been an absolute disaster. Um, it's interesting that we've signed a we've signed a Swedish international right back who can't get in the team ahead of um, yeah. a defensive midfielder who shouldn't even really be playing right wing back. Um, but you know, Newcastle United's policy of signing full backs for under six million continues. Um, <laughs> but I got he, he did get it right. He got he got it right with the energy levels of um, of the Longstaff brothers, because obviously wolves are an energetic side, and when you've got the running of of Trioria, Neto, Jimenez, um, and Dockery, especially, you really do need energetic um, energetic players on the pitch, and, and you know Hayden and the two Longstaffs give you that give you that stamina. Um, and I also thought that having um, Matty Longstaff in there, especially, kind of slightly negated the threat of João Moutinho because having now seen him in the flesh. Oh my God, João Moutinho is a wonderful footballer, like. Um, but I that that was the that was the right formation I thought, in um, the right personnel based on what we had, and obviously you know that's reflected in the fact that you know we did get, albeit slightly gratuitous, uh, we did get a point, and that's a point that any club in the Premier League, other than possibly Liverpool, would be happy with.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point, and. Team selection, there was a lot of questions being asked on social media. People were saying, Dwight Gale's back in from, from the Colds. Is Joe Linton playing up front with him? Joe Linton actually ended up on the right. I think Joe Linton is just going to have to do a tour of every position to see if we can get anything out of him at all. You know, play him at right fullback next week. <laughs> play him at centre-back. Can't do any, can't do any worse beat than up front. Um, I'll just mention Gale, actually,
3: Alex, if, I get it, if you give oh, me... Yeah. Sorry, man. I it's not me. like I was definitely going mention-
1: to come on to it, but go on
3: oh all right um sorry um is that is that one of the scheduled questions if so i haven't seen it so i can i I can wait
1: no no it's not you go for me it's just because it's my favorite subject isn't it but you go you go i'll come in after
3: i'll i'll keep it brief because you know i don't want to i don't want to take away from the pleasure that you're obviously going to get from it um dwight gale was the absolute correct move the difference he made to miguel Almirón was true it was incredible it was absolutely incredible um just because look Dwight Gale isn't a prolific goal scorer in the premiership. There's no two ways about it. But what he gives um, that we haven't had this season whilst Joe Linton or Carl have been up there is mobility and just being able to, to win the ball in tight situations and make like defenders' lives or not even just defenders, but you know midfielders as well. Gale works from the halfway line up to the six yard box. He works that half of the pitch so much. And obviously you saw from the first goal, his influence on the first goal was huge in the way that he he was one of the players alongside Williams who who you know, made Wolves lose the ball and that brought a long staff who obviously put it up to Williams and he, he stuck in in Gale's ability to run almost a bit, ability to kind of win the ball more or less on the halfway line and within seconds to get into the box to lay the ball back um, to the run for the goal was just indicative of the type of player he was not and we saw that um, plenty of times in the, in the season that he played regularly in the Premier League I think it was the goal against Southampton where he basically seemed to go from our box to their box within, you know, within a matter of seconds um, that, that was in you know obvious again yesterday and, and him going off um, it put a huge dent in how we've been, been playing up at that point because even though Wolves had equalised and, and Martinho was starting to prompt, I still think with Gale on the pitch, we probably had a, a better chance of even sneaking a win.
1: Yes, I agree. And without wanting to go all Florian Lejeune on his debut against Spurs, where we talked about it for a year based on 20 minutes of good football, It it was tremendously promising and that swivel, I don't even know what you'd call it, the swivel chest pass in the run-up to that goal was more than Joe Linton's done in a long time from an attacking perspective and then that little touch to have the presence of mind not to just try and drag the ball back to himself but that little touch to set up Almiron who by the way that finish first time side foot some goal, I think
2: it's the r- the roof of the net, man. It was so satisfying. He doesn't
1: score goals along the ground, does he? It's all three yeah, goals now. Like,
2: like actually, just once. he... Well, it was similar to the the Rochdale. Just once he's in the box, he could just lash it, can't he? And uh, yeah, the, the 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 way that it didn't even hit the bar, didn't even clip the underside of the bar, but it hit the roof of the net. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing.
1: You can't save those. You cannot save those. But yes, I think I think fair play them for bringing Gayle in, and. I mean we're gonna get on to the injuries in a second with Sean who's been waiting patiently but but I don't know I don't know anyone can come in here because I I didn't have Joe Linton down on the run in order to talk about but we'll have to talk about our alleged forty oh, forty million pound man. Now caveat here, Steve Bruce said post game that he was injured for much of that game and played through the pain barrier, you know. So with that in mind, does that Norman I know I know you were critical of him on the match day podcast, does that change anything for you?
3: Um, it changes um, maybe Ever so slightly Joe Linton's performance But if he was carrying an injury Then you know Why not take him off earlier I think he took him off For like 10 minutes to go And we've been seeing I, Look I get the fact that Bruce was probably concerned That if he made a substitution On 60 minutes That somebody else Would go down injured um, But I guarantee it And I don't know Sean might back me up here, But Joe Linton's presence On the pitch I genuinely don't think It would have made any difference If he, had, if he, had, if he hadn't been there That's how bad it was He's, His movement Was, was so minimal it, he wasn't closing down at all. He was making really half-hearted runs, and again, this may be tied to the fact that you know, with subsequently revealed that he was carrying he carrying an injury. But he just offered like he absolutely offered nothing. In in fact, I think even at one stage, we even said to each other, like, "He's he's he, him being on the pitch was counterproductive." Um, it yeah, it was it was it was almost like it was affording them more space because the the kind of just I don't know that the, the sort of just ignored him it was it was kind of it was almost embarrassing I hate saying it but it was if he was injured and that was impacting on his performance then he just should have been taken off and I think it would have been worth the risk of going down to 10 men because of picking up another injury because honestly it just it, it was silly it was really silly leaving him on um, he's it, his lack of endeavour I, I can't I can't even put it in words it was um it, it was ter- it was it was terrible but now that now that we've heard that he was injured then maybe that plays into it so I don't want to be I
1: don't want to be too critical on him. Yeah, Sean. I mean, interesting. To get your thoughts on Jolinton as well before we get into um, the dreaded. I hate talking about it. Everyone hates talking about it. But injury, injury management from from the manager and the coach and staff. So first of all, mate, do you, do you, do you see any way back for in Newcastle United. I, I
4: I mean I I saw him here a couple of weeks ago and defended him. It's getting harder and harder to defend him because you know the more people see of him the the more you see, there's not a lot there at the minute. But his body language was was really down yesterday. He was he was walking. There was times when the ball would go past him, he wouldn't even break into a jog. Now, if if that's because he was injured, fair enough. But I think you you know, there's times when if you're not playing well, the the one thing you can do is just put yourself about the way to get fans back on side. Just make a tackle, put a few fouls in, put your body about, and that just disappeared in the second half. And again, you know, the more you see it's not there. There was people getting frustrated at him. To be fair, no one no one turned on him. I know there was reports that Watch Daily got quite a bit of stick. That I personally didn't hear a lot of that around today. So, fair you know, fair play. It is frustrating for people, but it's, it's massively counterproductive getting on the kids' back. But I think from a, from a management point of view, if you see the lad struggling, it's doing him damage, just take him off. He probably needs a break. And I think, you know, your manager's got to protect you a little bit there as well. That, those those twenty minutes that you probably should have gone off earlier, is, is it you know it's damaging Marasa as well. It's not it's not it's not helpful at all.
1: Yeah, and there's one thing about Joe Linton, which are, fine he's struggling and fine he's not fit, but you saw Dwight Gale yesterday. and Listen, Dwight Gale is is far less, you know what's the right word here? He's just a smaller man than than Joe Linton in stature, <laughs> in, in weight, in power. Yet yeah, he manages to win a couple of free kicks in the short time he's on, just by getting his body between the centre back and the ball, and basically making the defender go into the back of them. And it's little things like that that we needed Joe Linton to do in the second half yesterday. And it's you know you, you talk about the like we did a, a True Faith any questions for patrons and Friday normal where we kind of laughed at the Chronicle story where he's Joe Linton is got, <laughs> got a translator in just <laughs> over Christmas. <laughs> Which is just hilarious, like some kind of Christmas present from the club is like, right, we'll let you you be able to communicate with the rest of your colleagues just for Christmas, though. (laughs) This is a gift. This is a gift from Mike. Um, And Norman, did you say that was actually a fellow professional from Rapid Vienna on the winter break or something?
3: I I think that's what I asked. So I'm pretty sure it was like an Austrian um, ex-teammate from Rapid Vienna that they sent over. So I'm going to, I'm either guessing that this. Austrian defender speaks Portuguese, or Joe Linton speaks German. Um, yeah,
1: probably, probably the latter.
3: So, so, so if that's the case, it's not even really a proper translator, is it? Because <laughs> in, like, German isn't his first language. So, I, I don't, I just don't know. I mean, look, uh, well, as I say, we, we spoke about it on TFAQ. I mean, the fact that I haven't had like, I haven't, he hasn't had like a personal assistant who speaks Portuguese and knows the northeast inside out and knows British bureaucracy and you know all these things that people need when they move abroad. I mean, you know, like, I've lived abroad before and I've been with someone who went over there to work, um, you know, work for a financial company and they basically sorted out this person, a flat, um, they sorted out everything for them and that was somebody who was just going to work in in a job in an office. Like, this is a professional footballer with millions and they got him a translator, I think, for, was it the first week that he was in Newcastle? I mean, just, it's just laughable, isn't it?
1: It is, but I wish I wish the translator or someone would say to Joe Linton, right? Okay, if, if you're not getting chances, if you're not going to get any, you know, if you're not getting the ball to feet, you can still influence the game in a positive way, like like, like Andy Carroll does, or like Dwight Gill did for the first ten minutes there. Win a couple of free kicks, make it hard for the centre backs. Sean, you make a really good point. In the second half, especially, absolutely everyone there yesterday, everyone was running, sprinting, but Joe Linton was walking for pretty yep. much the whole second half, and that's. And that stood out like a, you know an absolute sore thumb um, to me
2: I've, so. I've picked up on this as well and it's, it's not the first time kind of said this, but he doesn't help himself when things aren't going his way. I, I agree that he's not getting the service that he probably that, he, that he's needed since the start of the season, but if you become visibly irate and frustrated like and if you're lolloping around the pitch. Like it, people buzz off Almiron when he didn't score for, for, for months and months and months because everyone saw that he had work ethic and everyone saw that he cared and everyone saw that he wanted a bit. He was desperate to do well. Joel Linton is probably still, de- Joel Linton is probably desperate to do well, but he's allowing it to consume him and that's compromising his performances. And like you say, he's not looking a team player at the minute and that's just making everything worse. Yeah.
1: Um, Sean, injuries, I'll put to you two scenarios. Number one, uh, Steve Bruce has been at this a long time. We have the same medical staff as last season. Rafa didn't take anyone with him in that respect. And this is just a period of bad luck which will soon dissipate and there's nothing to do with the manager. Number two is that yesterday we had two players start a Premier League game who weren't considered fit enough even for the bench last week at Rochdale and both of them, there was Florian Lejeune, who's had you know a bit of a break now, and there was Andy Carroll-Ajolint to start up front, and the manager has taken reckless gambles with their fitness that has once again backfired. Which side are you on, or is it something in the middle?
4: Overwhelmingly, the second one. I think you can, throughout a season, and every team will have elements of bad luck with injuries. Injuries are part and parcel of the game. The game's getting quicker. More games are being played people are going to pick injuries up, but we're looking at around about 13 in total over the Christmas and early January period now. In the last two Premier League games, we've had six kind of soft tissue injuries. So like, Dummett was groin yesterday. Gale, who, you know, does regularly pick these up with hamstring. Shao hamstring, Shelby hamstring, Mankyo hamstring. Willems, I think, was possibly the same and just come back yesterday. Jolin, potentially a groin strain. I mean, these are preventable injuries. In the main, you get you get one or two. You don't get that many. I think kind of you know, Bruce says he'll he'll carry out an investigation. You've just alluded to the fact that they've got the same medical team as last season, so no changes have been made there. But there is one big change, and most of them are called Steve, I would imagine. So like they, you know, but what are they doing on the training pitch? We you know, they said we had Christmas day off. Which did, did any other club do that? <laughs> Are we, are we doing the right things? I'm not. I'm not really sure. I mean, you know, we can't. We can't see what goes on on the training ground. But I think there's just far too many instances of this for it for it to be bad luck. I think, you know, there's there's a few kind of glaring examples for me about the risks he has taken with players. I mean, we've just talked about it. But you know, Joelinton yesterday. If he's injured, why on earth is he still on the pitch? You know, he could have he could have damaged himself even more. We had Andy Carroll on. who eventually came on with 15 minutes to go. Bring him on when he's injured. <laughs> you know, it's it's not it's not rocket science. He let he let Share play on for for 10 minutes against Leicester when he clearly could barely walk with a hamstring injury. I mean, again, it's a miracle he didn't do any more damage there. Lejeune as well. He, you know, I think probably the most astonishing thing over the whole Christmas period is Lejeune not picking up another injury. He played him four times in 10 days after coming back from kind of a serious knee injury. You know, it's, it's a miracle that he, he he didn't pick up something else, to be honest, and you'd argue he was, he was a lot of the mistakes he's made have been tiredness. So it's, it's, it's these type of risks. Maximum's another one. You know, recurrence of hamstring injuries, are players getting the proper treatment that they need or they being rushed back too early because he's under a bit of pressure to get results. And I think there's a, a massive responsibility from the manager to look after his own players. And whether he's fully doing that or not, I'm, I'm I'm unsure. And I think that would put me on that that option too, rather than the, rather than the first one. There's obviously elements of bad luck. It's not all Steve Bruce's fault, let's be honest. But there's certain things you can do to kind of mitigate some of this. We had we had a lot of these under under Pardue, McLaren as well. It's you know it's going back to these old old school methods potentially.
1: Yeah, maybe, and and I think that's. The manager doesn't help himself because he's he's a pretty honest bloke. He I don't think he's political, maybe like Rafa was, or he'll just go and answer a question. So he he's been kind of brutally honest himself. He said earlier on the season that he brought some Maximan too early back from injuries, so he went back off against against uh, Spurs. He he then said that he, you know, should have taken him off and fair play to him for that, by the way. You know, he, he could come on and say it's not my fault type thing, but he has admitted there. You know, yeah. the, the the big issue with, in terms of what he's saying though, is he just keeps blaming this fixture period which every single other club in English professional football has to play. Every single one. Or certainly everyone in the Premier League, the championship being in the FA Cup third round. Now, for a bit of context, Wolves yesterday have used 18 players this season in the Premier League. 18. Newcastle have used 26. So we have a Bigger squad to choose from. Obviously, the quality isn't there like it is for Wolves. But a bigger squad to play, and, and there's no one in that list who isn't a first team player. When I look when I look through the, you know, Muto two starts is, is probably the and Gale two starts are probably the lowest craft fa- uh, five starts. This is including cup games as well, by the way. Um, so <laughs> you don't see Wolves losing six players over two games it's just to soft tissue injuries. Yet they've played the exact same fixture list, and in many respects. They've played Man City at home. They've played Liverpool away. Games when you're going to have to run more, you're going to have to work more. Now, that, this doesn't prove the argument one side of There is a chance, there is a chance that Steve Bruce and Newcastle United and us as fans and the players themselves are just victims of something that couldn't have been avoided, that there is simply no way that whatever they did, what happened will have happened. However, like you correctly say there, Sean, how damaging was it to Fabian share and, and you get it because we're going to go down to 10 men. So you know, they're thinking is it worth trying here. But but where was the, the duty of care that Fabian shared to say, right, you've you've fucking a hamstring, mate, don't be so stupid running back on, on a football pitch. This is exactly
2: it. Like every profession, every everybody, even just armchair fans, know that a hamstring is it, that's you're done. You can't do you cannot do any any athletic movement without when when your hamstring's gone. Like you just you just simply can't, let alone playing against an an excellent Leicester side already run as ragged in that game like have have some forethought like this you know you, you've made this point Alex about squad management with Steve Bruce like have some forethought what's coming up on the horizon like yeah we, we, of course we're going to make the the comparison with Rafa because he had that forethought he always looked ahead at the winnable fixtures he always looked ahead at when like I was at Bramall Lane when Sam Axeman was hobbling didn't he just stopped dribbling between the between like the 60th minute and then about the 80th minute or so when Atsu finally came on and I was I I couldn't believe like he got to the point where he played a, like a through ball because he, he just stopped dribbling It's the first through ball I've ever seen him play because he's he's a dribbler and <laughs> he doesn't need he doesn't he, he doesn't need to do that to get the ball into the final third because he'll run there himself but there was nothing wrong with that so Atsu came on I'm like and this is before Max, Sam Axman got his injury so like he was he was already being risked earlier and. It, it, it's just... At the minute, we have 12. We have 12 players plus Jack Colback injured at the moment. Um, your mate, Jack Colback, uh-huh. Alex. Um, God, will miss him. <laughs> we have 12 players injured. That's essentially half of our registered squad injured right now. Like, that isn't... That's insane. That's not bad luck. That's a pattern. That's not anomalous. It's not a coincidence. That's a pattern. That's mismanagement. Like, th- the people at the club, are responsible for that. They really, really are. Maybe not completely responsible, but they have to own up. They have to have some sort of accountability and, and, and some culpability for how our players have been managed, how the squad has not been rotated effectively. It's really, really poor. And it's it's basic, basic stuff.
1: Yeah, and of course there are, it's not Steve Bruce's fault that Jamal LaSalle and Matt Ritchie got housed basically by opposing players. But many of them, like you say there, are, are short-term soft tissue injuries. And you look at the, the selection of Paul Dummett yesterday. Whatever year, you, you know, if you listen to this, whether you think we're being too harsh or not being harsh enough, I don't think anyone could disagree that bringing Paul Dummett back yesterday was a mistake. Florian Lejeune could have started that game. Paul Dummett could have been on the bench and and, and played another 23 game or come on with 50 minutes to go for Isaac Hayden and, and, or, or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Or played on Tuesday against Rochdale with three or four days extra rest. I can't see how he's made that call. Dwight Gale is a, is a different one because he, he's played a lot more recently than Paul Dummett. I think Paul Dummett's last game was Burnley, possibly. Um, Burnley or Palace. So a couple of weeks ago now, two or three weeks, Dwight Gale has played recently and it was a minor injury. So so I'll, I'll give the manager a pass on that one because it might. I think it might even be a different injury than the one he had. So I'll give the manager a pass. But on Paul Dummett there... Bring him back against Rochdale and give him three days to recover. You've got Florian Lejeune, and I know the last time Florian Lejeune was in a football pitch for Newcastle, it did not go well. But, you know, he came on and did. did, did I mean, lads, I mean, Sean, Norman, Did, did how did you see Lejeune do, do yesterday? Do you think he yeah, was getting back was to, today. to, to how, how he was before the, the second serious injury?
4: Yeah, definitely. He, was, he played really well. He was he was calm and commanding as normal. It's he, I still, as I said before, I think a lot of the mistakes came from tiredness and that can happen. You look, the previous couple of games, you looked absolutely shattered and out on his feet and not surprised. So no, I thought he had a good game
3: yesterday. Yes. Yeah, uh, second, I second that. I think um, Lejeune's mistakes against Leicester very much down the fact that he's absolutely exhausted and, you know, he's he's tried, his kind of thought process and his speed of thought, let's say, are probably like, you know, microseconds bearing where they normally are because of tiredness. So those passes have, have looked absolutely terrible. Yesterday, he was defensively solid, and he also still made a couple of those kind of across the box or cross field passes, and they were bang on um, because he's obviously rested and he and he's kind of you know his mental processes up to speed, and um, he he looked like he hasn't lost any self belief or confidence. So that's obviously you know that's obviously a really good thing. Um, the reality is he shouldn't have been in the team against Leicester, or he shouldn't have been in the team against Everton, and then maybe brought back for the Leicester match.
1: Yeah, to- totally agreed. Again, to credit the manager, he did say after that that those mistakes that the Jew made are on him. Not the player. Mm-hmm. Totally back that. Well done. And that's very honest from a manager. You very rarely see any managers accept responsibility for anything these days. But but I think he's... I think it's not fair on Paul Dummett. I think he's, he's He's. You know, bringing him back after so long out, after three weeks out, when you've got another centre-back there and from being injured straight away, it is hard to come to any other conclusion that that once again is the issue. And I think to finish this bit off on injuries, as fans, the thing you worry about is, and until you admit there's a problem, you can't fix it. So where, like like used to yesterday, are going to have to continue spending a day at Premier League grounds away from home, knowing that we're going to have four or five players injured that possibly shouldn't be or couldn't be injured if, if things were managed a little bit differently. So,
2: Florent Lejeune, just quickly, like stats-wise, clearances, he was second on the pitch, eight out of eight completed, headed clearances, most on the pitch, and he wasn't even playing the whole game.
1: That's conclusive, and I, and I do want to talk a little bit about some positives before we kind of get a bigger picture for the rest of the show. Um, for me, and I know you touched on the match day, Norman. I thought I thought Mighty Longstaff had a really good day yesterday. We were were saying me and Si when we were at Rochdale that was an important little period for Matt. He was clearly going to get game time again with, with Shelby's injury and Hayden having to play across the back line. Um, I thought he he was industrious. He was the exact kind of player we needed. He was he doesn't care who he plays against. They were outnumbered a lot of, a lot of times yesterday, and he and he he kept going. He used the ball well on the rare occasion that he got it. Um, he found his brother a lot. He made sensible passes, and even though there was a huge amount of defensive work for the team to get through, he still at every opportunity, and it didn't always come off. But he still managed was was still willing to get forwards to get in support of the striker. There was a, a chance at the end when he when he tried to find out Andy Carroll at the back post. The rest of the team there were like past the halfway line, but he he takes those risks and gets forward, and really promising from him so far. And you you do wish that a player like Matty Longstaff was playing alongside a John Drew Shelby or playing alongside someone else who, you know, it wasn't almost crisis mode where him and his brother are playing alongside, you know, more established, experienced players. But, you know, it is what it is. We are where we are. They're they're, they're doing really well. And I thought his brother had a good game yesterday as well. They both, they both, Wolves really struggled to get past them through the middle of the pitch and it kind of forced them wide. So a lot of time for that. And and I thought that was a, a, a small, bright spark yesterday, Adam.
2: Just on Matty Longstaff, I mean, I mentioned this on the the preview with Mickey um, early in the week, and uh, you know, I, I didn't I didn't put him in my 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 final um, predicted team, but I'd had mentioned him about how what he could do is get in the faces of two very very technically good midfielders, like excellent midfield. I, I think they're they're probably one of the best midfield pairings in the in the league, Mutinho um, Neves, in terms of that talent and that chemistry together. Um, their techniques unbelievable. But what you absolutely can't do with those players is give them time. And what Matty Longstaff absolutely won't do is give players time because he'll be in their face. Um, we saw that he had a bit of bite in him as well, which is really nice to see. And this kind of closing down, which I mentioned, you know, um, in, the, in, in, the, in the closing minutes, uh, there was a loose control, possibly by Nevers. I'm not, not, not fully sure, but there's a loose control and Matty Longstaff's right in there, in his face, playing Andy Carroll through in a through ball. So slow, he's never going to make that. He of Connor Cody, the, the chance goes. <laughs> but it, it was, you know, that that was just an example of, you know, what I thought he might have been able to bring, you know, if he did get a sort of uh, a chance in that game. But yeah, I, I have to agree with you. I was I was pretty impressed with him. And it's a kind of far cry from, from Rochdale where I, th- I thought, you know, that, they did struggle, certainly second half, the pair of them.
1: Yeah, I, th- I thought they ran the game at Rochdale in the first half, but yeah, second half when <laughs> Rochdale's manager made the technical changes, they, they were just nowhere. But uh, Kieran Clark as well, I thought, had a really good game yesterday. It was really good to see him back. You know, he's been knocking on the door a little while now. He's been back and training a bit. and I think he started this season, in, in the mind of many fans, a sixth-choice centre-back. To me, he's got to play at, at the minute whenever he seems to play. I mean, not only does he carry, carry an all-important goal threat, which we need... But he's he's just Mr. Reliable, and he probably should have given away a penalty yesterday. That's a weird thing about the first goal yesterday. It shouldn't have been a corner. For me, it wasn't a corner. It was a goal kick, but it was also a pen. But if VAR wants to decide it's not a pen, then why not tell the ref it's a goal kick? If you're going to say it's no pen, it's still a goal kick. Um, but it's not it's not uh, Kieran Clark or, or indeed, Isaac Hayden, Hayden's fault, that Federico Fernandez who had a good game, but, you know, Alexa showed me ball watching. That was really poor from her. A player of his, of his experience, and I suppose that's why he's not maybe played at a higher level than this. Because Fernandez seems to be excellent; he does he rarely gets beaten one on one. He wins a lot of headers. He's very comfortable. He's a leader. But that ball watching at a crucial time after we just scored to allow to allow Wolves that goal. It was a bit; they were a bit lucky again. It came off the guy's knee and went in the part of the goal that he didn't mean to put it. That Rafa could never get to. But I thought that Wolves. Didn't I mean I know Dubravka's pulled off two amazing saves, but they didn't really get in behind us at all. Tryo had a couple of you know he did Willem's a couple of times, which were embarrassing. Almost like Willem's wasn't was just like right, you just get past me, mate. It's fine, I'm not even gonna try and upset you. (laughs) But uh, yeah, overall, I didn't think that despite the fact that we had to defend a lot, I didn't think Wolves. You know, it wasn't like save after save or chance after chance. They they largely resorted
2: to crosses. They, they, They they managed like 19 crosses overall, and this is kind of when you know the likes of Clark and Lejeune sort of were absolutely solid getting the ball away every time crosses were coming in but we were dealing with them
1: that's the thing isn't we've got three center backs what do you want to deal with crosses and that's that you know Wolves Wolves have kind of matched us formation wise down. I don't think it really worked particularly in the second half if I was a Wolves fan I know Nuno is a very good manager but for them to stick with three center backs when as Norman said earlier in the show they basically just ignored Joe Linton like what's the point I don't think Andy Carroll carries that much fear that like we can't, we can't take a centre-back off for an, an attack and play in case Andy Carroll comes on. But, Norman, speaking of very good footballers, Miguel Almiron, what a goal, what a game. What's changed recently? Do you think it's it's purely just the fact he got that goal or has this been the way he's performed for a long time now and people are just starting to take notice?
3: I think for the vast majority of the time that he's been here, he's performed to uh, a high level. Um I think the goal, what the goal's done, that goal against Crystal Palace, it's you know, and, and you, you, the goal against Crystal Palace, not only that, but actually the, the assist against Man City as well. That was the first thing, you know, the he hasn't even given any assists, he hasn't even given any goals. Well, he got he got that assist against Man City, and that I think visibly lifted him. Um, you could see the joy in his face when uh, when Williams equalised, and you know all the players went over to Almirón uh, despite the fact it was Williams that scored and, and gave him, you know, they congratulated him because obviously it's something that that must have been. Getting to him on a certain level, and obviously the, his, his colleagues have, have been aware of it. Um, and then he scored that great goal against Crystal Palace, and his confidence levels have skyrocketed. And you know we saw that great finish against Rochdale, and an out, outrageous finish yesterday. But what it's done is, is, obviously it's impacted on his on the on the rest of his game. Um, he seems that little bit quicker. He's he's got the confidence to skin people. I mean, you saw in the first couple of minutes we, I think he took out about three of their players when run from the halfway line. And he got his shot off, but you know the shot was kind of disrupted slightly by the fact that I, I think um, possibly Den stepped on his heel um, as he as he burst past him. And his movement was incredible. I mean, he was everywhere, and not, and not just not just his not even that, not his movement, his pace, his skill, but his willingness to put his foot in. He's not scared. You saw I think on two or three occasions where Trioria did do his long burst and runs um, that other players couldn't cope with, i. e. Williams as uh, Williams as you mentioned. Try um, uh, put in. Really good tackles from behind as well, and you know, whipped thrown and won the ball. Um, and he also, on a couple of occasions, he, he took um, Triori out by skinning him uh, for pace, which which is phenomenal. I think, I think Almiron's got the quicker kind of initial burst to pace that lets him get past the man, whereas Triori is more like a 100 metre sprinter, he just kind of starts and then pelts. Um, and Almiron and uh, I think Almiron and probably Triori and Moutini were the best players on the pitch yesterday, and, and that's that's putting him up in an illustrious company there, you know. Um and, you know, what what we did see was obviously the the effect that having a player like Dwight Gale on the pitch um, uh, makes for, for people like Armiron It just gave him that little bit of freedom because a lot of the kind of donkey work that he he would have had to have done if Joe Linton had been through the centre or Carroll had been through the centre from the start. And also, you know, a lot of the donkey work that he's had to pick up on since Ayose Perez left. A lot of the stuff that ron has been kind of... Um, Tasked with doing without even probably realising it is is the work that Iusea Perez used to do, being the link man, being the man who kind of tries to win free kicks, being the person who can shield the ball. And you know, unfortunately, he's not Ayose Perez in in that sense. But he has had to kind of take on take on his role. Um, whereas yesterday, you saw a player who was a lot more a lot more free and, and who was doing what comes naturally to him. And it was it was just really really fantastic to watch. And um, I think you know regardless of, of how tactically inept Bruce may be, um if if Max and Mann is fully fit and Almirón's fully fit and we get a center forward who can actually put the ball in the net you're looking at a very useful front three and any manager who's got those three um has got a fighting chance of seeing in the Premier League if those three uh, you know if if Max Almirón and one other are on song I
2: was going to say if, if, oh, sorry Noam. Um, oh, sorry
3: mate, and also um, Almiron, statistically uh, you, you might have these mate, but uh, on match of the day last night, the stats came up and basically he, I think he, he ran more than anyone, completed more passes than anyone, had more shots than anyone created more chances than anyone, he, he was just number one in every single category, the measure for Newcastle players yesterday, he, he was number one Um, other than possibly saves, I think Dubravko won that one. <laughs> uh,
2: he actually <laughs> he actually recorded a higher top speed than Adama Troyer yesterday as well, which is absolutely nuts yeah. to think about. Um. I was going to say on really good points, Norman. I think the the other thing, I think, um, you know, at, at Atlanta, he was like, he's one of the top dogs. He he ran the show. He had the confidence because he was the one bringing the goals, bringing the assists with um, Joseph Martinez, et cetera. But, you know, I think with these... I think one thing is he's more integrated now. He's settled. He's starting to feel like this is his club. The fact that he's scoring again means that he's getting the crowd on side as well. And I think it, it, is, it is as visibly as lifting him. And you've seen over the last, certainly since Sam Axeman sort of went off, when, when away injured, he's starting to take on more responsibility to make things happen. And he's one of those players that can make something happen out of absolutely nothing. Um, and I think he's starting to grow into his role here at Newcastle and that's that's really important. I think time has done that more than anything.
1: All good points. Adam, I'll come back to you about about yesterday and the point and there is, there is I suppose part of the issue is there is going to have to be a point in the future when you'd hope would go to Wolves and not just seed possession and not just have one shot on the score. Are you satisfied at the minute as a fan? Do you, do you feel that, you know what, we've got to, Brief this season, it's to finish outside the relegation zone. But, but you know, we're 13th at the minute, so it's not like we're in, a, in the, the midst of a relegation battle, or two or three bad results and you could be right back down there. Like, where, where do you see Steve Bruce and Newcastle United's season? Yes, I suppose it's a good time to ask because what, what are we now, 21, 22 games in? It's it, We're past the halfway stage. Can you just sum up your feelings towards the result, but also Bruce's Newcastle season so far and why? I
2: think... I'm I happy as a fan. No. No I'm not. Uh, we we have a pretty mediocre squad. It's not pretty to watch. It feels like when we do win there's an element of fortune about it. Um I don't I kind of just don't trust us to go out and be able to turn the turn the team over. I don't think we've I don't think I felt like that for a, for a while. Um, but, but in the, in in the in the context of what I expected from a, from a Bruce side and again we are not at the end of the campaign, so things can change. We are doing better than I thought we were. that still doesn't make me necessarily pleased with with what I'm seeing, what I'm paying to see, what I'm watching um a lot of the issues come with this with, with the quality of the squad as well that's not that's absolutely not down to Bruce um you know that even the players brought in this summer he would have had very very little to do with. He's a head coach, he's not a manager. he'll get what he's given you know we have a lot of deadwood at the squad that you know the fact that we can't even improve any 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 part of the squad this january until we sell players because we just don't have the space you know that that in itself just shows how you know bloated we are and full of deadwood no i'm not happy um but we are doing better than i thought we were um it's it's it it's tricky because i can i can equally be pleased with the point away to wolves but not necessarily be happy with, with 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 what I've seen and you know the quality of the football. Did we did we play well defensively? Yeah, we yeah we we put in a good defensive shift. Was it the best defensive shift we put in this season? Absolutely not. But having like one sh- essentially two shots all game or whatever it was, and they 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 were both within the first ten minutes. That's not good enough. That's absolutely not good enough for for any team in the Premier League, let alone. You know Newcastle United, who you know we've sometimes you know I've I've lived through days halcyon days of like like liquid attacking football, and it was absolute joy to watch. But it, this is a this is a far cry. This is like running through treacle at times, and it's it's not sustainable.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a good argument, isn't it? And I, I just genuinely, it's a genuinely unhappy place to be at the minute. Newcastle United as a fan, you know, no one's happy. People who've given up aren't happy because there's ten thousand free tickets, and the one people not to go to games. People who do go to games, so some are happier than others. But I don't think anyone's kind of delighted with the way it's going. And and to be fair, you know, I think the the the, the chaos and it was chaos. there's no way to prepare for a Premier League season this summer, and we all know the reasons why. I think I think I think Steve Roos is doing all right. It's not fun. It's not fun. It's not enjoyable. But it but that's. He can only do what he's capable of doing. And at the at the minute, I think his points total is he's got almost the most that he could out of this squad from that in that respect. Now, there are home games coming up. I think our next home games are Norwich, Burnley, Sheffield, Villa and West Ham. After Chelsea. After Chelsea, of course. but Hoy Chelsea in there for me. They Chelsea are beatable. There's six home games there and Steve Bruce can go and attack those games and get lots of points from them. Then I think he can flip maybe what you're saying there, and a lot of fans feeling right now, where like, yeah, no one's slating the manager, aside from the injury crisis, no one's demanding, literally no one is demanding a manager change are they? You know, if you take away Rafa Benitez at this point of the season, under his predecessors, you know, Paul Drew McLaren especially, everyone was demanding manager change at that point. So he's, so he's, so he's doing that, which is positive. The, in terms of the way that we'll play the football and how demoralising it is to watch our, our bring... Sean in on this just after I say this point because you were at the game Sean yesterday so I can get your yeah. feelings in it of it and the feelings of the away end that you picked up but in terms of the dreadful football and it is dreadful mostly and, the, and all, almost to see the, the absence of an attacking game plan at all particularly after the two players went off yesterday which is which might be what the manager would say listen I've, I've lost Gilda he was the plan but I suppose the counter argument to that to provide some balance would be I think Norwich play really good football I think they play some lovely passing football, but they're bottom of the league on twelve points and they're getting relegated. And Bournemouth play some really nice footballs at football at times, and they're getting relegated. Well, maybe they might, you know, they might, they might win today against Watford, but they are on uh, one hell of a downward trajectory. I think the came and St James's Park sixth. We've done this to them. <laughs> Brucey inflicted that psychological defeat <laughs> losing at Bruce's New Castle. <laughs> but, but Sean, you know, you were in the away end yesterday. Was there a feeling of happiness in the end? Was there a big cheer? Were, were people happy, or were people stream, streaming out on that ground quite disappointed?
4: No, I think people were, were definitely happy with the point. I think you know, if you're going to go and travel all, all the way down to Wolverhampton, and we, we get a we get a point. You've got it. You have got to be pleased with that. Especially, I think the way the game panned out. I did think it was probably a, a bit flat in the away end, certainly in the in the second half. But that is you know totally understandable. I think. There's a, probably a feeling that when when we conceded and go, they got the equaliser, you know, quite quickly after hours, we we're probably weren't we weren't going to go and get the second goal. So it was a case of probably one-one is about it, or we're going to you know, or we're going to look to concede again. And I think that's that is the general that seemed to be the general mood a little bit. I, I certainly felt that Norman Norman did when I when we were speaking at him certainly half time. So you and it goes back to this whole kind of Steve Bruce point and probably the message the message the club's sending out by his appointment is that there is a limit on our ambitions. <laughs> the best we're probably going to do is just stay in the league. And that, you know, it clearly does transmit to people. It, it does because they've had to give 10,000 season tickets away. It does because, you know, we're not always taking as, as many allocations and things like that. It, it will. It's not inspiring stuff. So there's, it, there's only so much you can kind of get excited about this. It's, I, I still love going the away games. I still... I'll Still, you know, like all of us, we'll all support Newcastle through thick and very often thin, <laughs> but um, it's, it's that kind of message that comes out that we're, we're not trying to be the best that we potentially can, and this is about all we're going to do, so that that does transmit, I think, through. So that's that's the kind of sense I got, enough, Norman. You felt in my uh,
3: absolutely. Um, it is difficult, I mean, you know, everything Sean said there's bang on, like if. And especially a bit about, you know, we all know that Newcastle United, Mike actually aren't trying to be the best that they can be. Um, And there are going to be occasions um, where after, you know, 11 years of that kind of attitude where the fans are just um, slightly disengaged in the stadium. Um, So yesterday, um, as Sean's mentioned, as I mentioned earlier, the moment that they equalised, we were just waiting, waiting for them to get a second goal. So hoping equally go and to hang on for a point. And it's really kind of sad when, you know, you're at a, at a football match against a side who are only what five or six points ahead of you in the table. And against a side that gets, you know, when we're doing okay, twenty thousand less than us. Um and against a side that three years ago was being managed by Paul Lambert in a division that we can't have near finish in the bottom half of, um, there are going to be occasions where, you know, that eats you a little bit and you and you you just you're a little bit not necessarily apathetic, but, you know, you're, you're not as, as vociferous and, and passionate um, as you might be under a side that you think is genuinely going for it. And um, I yesterday was just one of those occasions where I think kind of nerves and this acceptance that we weren't going to win just got the better of us. And, and it kept us quiet for, for the duration of the match.
1: Adam, what, what would you say to those on social media who have been saying if Rafa Vinicius had delivered yesterday's performance and yesterday's point, people would have been delighted?
2: I don't. I mean, you know, I've seen some people say like, you know, if it was Rafa Benitez, that people would have been doing it a, you know, defensive masterclass, whatever it was. But I, I wouldn't have ever said that. It wasn't. A, it wasn't a masterclass. It wasn't. There was never that onslaught, as we've already talked about. We conceded a really, you know, for a defensive masterclass, but by by default, you don't concede weak goals. You don't concede big chances, yeah. which opt to uh, suggest are you know chances where you would reasonably be expected to score. We conceded four against Wolves yesterday and it was only because of Matty Longstaff on the line. De Bravka's save from two um, headers from Pedro Neto and Raul Jimenez that, that that stopped that from being... You know, if one of those goes in, which on another day absolutely would have done, we're, de- we're dead and buried. We're go- Wolves get a second, we don't get back into that game at all. We just don't. We weren't creating anything. We completely lost any kind of grip on that game by that point, certainly by the second half. Like, I'd say, it, it, and it depends how you're going to define defensive masterclass. So Spurs away, you know, they had 80% possession, 17 shots, but we reduced them down to one big chance that they didn't end up scoring. We win that game. You could argue that Man City was probably a defensive masterclass. Yes, we yes we conceded, you know, f- four big chances then, but then Man City... I know that Wolves beat Man City, but Man City in general are on a, diff- a completely, completely different level to Wolves. Like they're an elite side that we managed to get a draw out of, whereas Wolves are not an elite side. They're a good side, but they're not an elite side. There was no onslaught we had probably, I think we had the fourth highest away possession yesterday than we'd had all season, you know. Um, just because we were creating nothing in our own, in, 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 the, in, in the attacking third... It doesn't mean that we were dominated as such. So, you know, had Rafa Benitez been managing that that game, we would have still looked at the fact that Wolves probably should have put us to bed. I think we, we, that we got away with one. But yes, ultimately, we would have been happy with a point, which I am happy with a point, even if it's Steve Bruce managing, because especially, like I said before, with a patchwork team, going away to any... Team in the top half of the table and coming away with any with, with a point, like I said, if we if that was our first you know a fir, you know first choice eleven starting, I'd have taken a point at the start of the game. Absolutely. So I get what people are saying about Rafa Benitez and like and, but it's all in context, isn't it? With Rafa, you knew that there was a the, the bigger plans. You you know that Rafa Benitez has achieved more in the game, so therefore, people will we'll view what he's doing differently. I don't think there's anything about Rafa Benitez that is necessarily not thought out, roll the dice, you know, close your eyes and, you know, cross your fingers and hope it works. Like with Rafa, there was a plan and you could see that plan, even if it was as ugly as it is under Bruce. Rafa, you know, Rafa Benitez's era was full of ugly football. We know that, but he was just trying to get a job done. Steve Bruce is doing the same, but we've said before on previous pods, even when we've won, Played poorly and it that, that is unsus that is unsustainable. Um but yeah, I think we were porous yesterday. On another day, we'll comfortably lose that. So I I think that I think that point is kind of moot to be honest. It's I I would feel the same either way. I really, really would.
1: I think that just about does it then for today's show. Thanks to everybody for listening. We will be back next Sunday after Chelsea's game. In the meantime, we have a full week as usual of extra podcasts for our c- couple of hundred patrons who pay about seven quid a month. For more of this kind of thing, we'll have a full Rochdale Matchday podcast uh, on Patreon as well as a few other shows. So get involved if you think that's your thing. My thanks to Adam, Sean and Norman. It's been a pleasure. Speak to you all next week. Cheers.
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early